This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, and we are off and running on a, what I mean, what would you say? Glorious Saturday afternoon. It is June 5th, and it feels like June 5th. Where was this last weekend? Last weekend, nothing but rain. I'm sitting out in my patio having a little adult beverage uh, because the, the weather be damned. I don't know. You're not going to hold me back. But it's nice to see the sun out today. How you doing? How you feeling, people? It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. And look, how much do you need? How much do you want? Because we have so much to run through over the next uh, three and a half hours. We'll take you to 6.30, Islanders and Bruins pregame then. Of course, the number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. I am uh, on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Most importantly, though, right here for the next three and a half hours. And as I said, tons to go through with the NBA playoffs on the station here the last couple of days. The, the night show, Larry and I, have not been on the last couple of nights. So basically, we had the Knicks season end on Wednesday. And we've not been able, I haven't been able to really talk about it with you, Nick fans. And look, it's not a shock. We kind of saw it coming, right? It's not that much of a surprise. You saw game three. You saw the way game four went. And you knew that game five, it almost felt like it was a replay, right? Like MSG was just replaying the game, even though it was at the Garden. It's amazing what they can do with the technology. It's the exact same game, but they were somehow able to... Uh, change the venue. So we have a lot to go through with that series. We have a lot to go through with the next season. And then of course, it's the off season where probably the majority of the show uh, might be focused when it comes to the next talk. So those three areas, series, season, off season, probably could take up the next three hours. But as if that was not bad enough on a beautiful, glorious Saturday afternoon, We have to uh, talk about uh, the old uh, New York Yankees. And hear me out. I I know you're going to say, you're just saying these things. You're, you know, this is just a hot take. And I might be going out on a limb here. But it kind of feels like the Yankees stink. (laughs) Maybe it's me. It's, It's almost, you know what I noticed last night? It's almost like having a combination of bad hitters, slumping hitters. It's almost like that's not a good way to maximize offensive production. I don't know if it's true, but it it seems that way. Having a bunch of guys who can't even hit 200, it almost seems like that's not a good way to try and score some runs. So you'll have anger, you'll have frustration, maybe some rage at times. Uh, And at least part of those those feelings, that anger, the frustration, the rage, at least for me, is when I hear people, callers, media people, kind of diagnose why the Yankees are where they are. And where they are right now is kind of sunk. It's June 5th. And for the optimist, maybe even the realist, they would say, you know what, there's plenty of time. Well, maybe in other seasons. But I can say this with a high level of certainty. Unless something dramatic happens with the team that is constructed as of right now, The Yankee season is just about over. And that's hard to say on June 5th. But you've had a large enough sample size to see that this is not working. And you've had enough time to watch the reaction of the front office. And the reaction, at least so far, has been 
Let's ride it out. So we have a lot of stuff to get into with the Yankees and the Knicks, the NBA playoffs, the Clippers win, setting up really kind of a fascinating game seven there between the Clippers and Mavs. So we'll get into that. We'll look ahead to the Nets series, which opens against the Bucks tonight. And it doesn't seem like, uh, I think that maybe after tonight, the opinion juggernaut will start to roll. I'm already on that opinion juggernaut right now that the Nets are going to roll through this Eastern Conference. But we'll see if it, eventually we are going to kind of all come together in that realization. But it doesn't feel like everybody's there just yet. So uh, we'll get to that in a little bit as well. And uh, Annette picks and chill pick to avoid this week, which is uh, it, it was not a, a fun experience for me this week uh, with my selection. But we'll get to that before we get out of here at uh, 630 Tonight, But let's start with the Knicks. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number because the Knicks, especially on these weekend shows, they have been the story in this town. They've been the focus of the shows here on the weekend. They've been the, they've been the story of the city. Their season, their playoff push, their, their series against the Hawks. And um, I guess we'd have to start with the most recent, and that would be the playoff series. And I guess the main takeaway is now that you're sitting here, three days after the season has come to an end, I think we all kind of went into this playoff series, whether you expected the Knicks to win, whether you're hoping the Knicks could win, whether you're, you're doubting the team. Uh, I think that at this point you would have thought that, all right, the reality of the situation set in, the season is over, and you can kind of look hopefully to the offseason and kind of look back on the season and see what uh, an incredible regular season it was. And I think that everything that you preface the Knicks year with now, you have to preface it because it was such a, a contrast between regular season and postseason that anytime you talk about the positive regular season, you have to point out it was a regular season. The regular season was great. The regular season was a joy to watch. But the, off, uh, the, uh, the, uh, post, the postseason, the playoffs, were just such a disaster. You finally got the playoff experience you wanted, and that experience, there's no other way to say it, was a nightmare. The Knicks were completely outplayed, completely outclassed, and you'd have to say it, completely outcoached. They were out everything. And I do think that when you sit there and you watch basically a replay of games three, four, and five, there's no other takeaway you can have. I mean, people might want to try to paint a rosy picture, and I can see that if you look back to the regular season, as I said. But when you factor in the playoffs, which we all kind of had expectations, and, and my expectations were not high for the postseason, the only thing I wanted to see, and I, I said this repeatedly, was as long as the Knicks don't go out and embarrass themselves in the, in the, in the postseason, well, then I'll feel great about however things end. If it ends in five, if it ends in six, if they're able to win, no matter how you go about it. I had no level of expectation that the Knicks had to win the series or do this or do that. All they had to do was not go out there and be completely exposed. And that's exactly what happened. They got exposed. The regular season success got exposed. And it would be one thing, again, if they matched up against the Bucks or the Sixers or the Nets. That was not this. This was the matchup you wanted. And I will still say, it's still the matchup you should have wanted, even knowing how it turned out. Because you weren't beating the big three. 
you weren't beating Miami. And not only did you not beat the Hawks, you got embarrassed. So I'm sorry, Nick fans. This is not going to be a safe space. This is not going to be a comfort zone. This is going to be uh, this is going to be a fact territory or something more catchy than that. Uh, this was a matchup that should show you where you match up, and talent-wise, it got bad and it just kept getting worse. Like in games one and two, you were in it and you felt good, especially after game two, right? But as the series went along. And this is what happens in the playoffs, right? Teams get to singularly match up against their opponents over the course of a long series. You get to really dive into them. And as the, as the, season, as the series went along, the te- teams focused more on each other. The Hawks got better and the Knicks got worse. I mean, there's no other take to have. Game three, you scored, what, 94 points? Game four, didn't crack 100. And game five, season on the line, back at home. Desperate for a win, you scored 89 points, and it was painful. Offensively, it was painful to watch. It was painful to see how they could not score. And we'll get to the individual players, but between games three, four, and five, man, there were no adjustments. There was no, you know, turn things around in this way or that way. In the second half of games, there was no run. There was no push. There was no comeback. It was good morning, good afternoon, and good night. So again, this is not about the regular season. We can get to that. But when you're talking about the playoff series, the positives that you might be able to cobble in your mind are not really positives. The biggest one to me, if I'm looking at positives from the playoff series against the Hawks, is that nobody anywhere, especially in the Knicks front office, can now fool themselves. Teams sometimes get into playoff series and get into situations where they fool themselves thinking, you know what, we just need a tweak here or there. This was not a series that the Knicks lost because of a bad call or a bad whistle or this guy just happened to hit a shot or if this had happened or that had happened. That was not this series. You got, again, completely exposed and completely outplayed. So the Knicks, luckily in some ways, I guess, They cannot fool themselves. You know, if this series had gone seven games, you might have been able to say, you know, we just need a little tweak here or there. This is just a little thing here, a little thing there. No, 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 no. And I think that this is, I think now you can look at the Yankees over the last few years and, and, and point out that maybe they fooled themselves thinking that they were closer than they actually are. So the Knicks, Leon Rose, the front office, obviously cannot be fooled. Secondly, I think the, the other positive, and this is really uh, stretching it, I'm looking for some, I, I, I bent over backwards. I've been, I've been trying some yoga. And trust me, I need all those uh, lotus positions to make this one work. The other positive, I would say, is the way they played in the playoffs actually makes the regular season win total even more impressive. The fact that this team won 41 games, won the exact same amount of games as the Hawks did. It can kind of get lost in the pain of losing, but maximizing what you had, nobody anywhere did a better job of squeezing the toothpaste out of the tube than Tom Thibodeau. Tibbs did not only squeeze the tube, then he went back and he like flattened it out and then he rolled it up from the bottom. And then once that was done, I think he used like a razor blade to slice it open and get all the little last... The carcass was picked completely clean. They maximized results during the regular season 
And I would say that those are the only two positives you can take away from this playoff series outside of the fact, well, at least we were there. (laughs) At least we made the trip. Yeah, well, it was raining every day and you had to stay in the hotel basically every day. And you really didn't get to experience what you were hoping to experience. But hey, at least we got this t-shirt. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So I know this is not what Nick fans want to hear. I get it. This was a series where you wanted to see where you matched up, and uh, clearly you did not match up, right? Last three games, the second half, there were no comeback, no run. So I want to hear from the Nick fans, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776, because we got to get into the individual players. And I, I, look, this is, not, this is not going to be a happy-go-lucky kind of show. It's beautiful outside, but in, in Nick land right now, while you might have some hopes about the future, uh, the way that this season came about and, and, and wound up, especially when it comes to your franchise guy, I, I don't see, you must be just the, the, uh, the, the most optimistic person that you could possibly be if you got done watching that and you're sitting here a few days later and you're thinking to yourself, eh, wasn't so bad. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Yeah, 91 degrees. Oh, beautiful day. The family's at the pool. Everybody's having a good time, except Nick, Nick fans right now. I think they're having a little bit of a tough time. And, you know, this is the point of the year now where the narrative, especially right after the series ended, the narratives kind of get set. And we're going to get to the phone calls in a second. 1-800-919-ESPN. Uh, the two that I've heard about the Knicks. One, I, uh, I don't know how people can be saying this. I think this is just wishful thinking. And the second one, I can at least see where you're going, but I don't know that I necessarily uh, agree. I've heard that the now, well, the Knicks are now an attractive destination. How do, how do we know that? Like, look, I'm not telling the, they did an amazing job turning things around and then the people that are in charge now, clearly, it was so much more enjoyable watching the team that actually goes out there and plays with heart and plays with grit and defense, all those type of things. I'm not telling you that they're not significantly be- way better, night and day better than they were under the previous regimes. But has anybody gotten someone who actually plays basketball in the NBA to say, yeah, the Knicks are definitely an attractive destination now? They're a better team. But I don't know that that necessarily, I don't know that there's players out there saying to themselves, I got to get to the Knicks now. That's what attractive destination, there are more functional destination, but attractive destination, I don't know that. I New York, we here. I, I would, well, that's great. He is here. That's, uh, that's fantastic. And they represented themselves this year. I don't want it to be all negative. So much better than any team here, basically the last decade or so. But I don't know that that necessarily makes them an attractive destination. The second thing that I've heard is that, well, now the Knicks have laid the foundation. I guess I kind of agree with that, but it just kind of depends on what you mean by laying the foundation. The front office clearly seems like that they know what they're doing, but that's really going to be told by this offseason. I mean, they didn't make any major moves last offseason. The the main move they made was to bring in the coach, and and that worked out great. And Tom Thibodeau certainly, um, during the regular season, proved uh, his merit and his, his worth, and I do think that he should be uh, coach of the year this year because it's a regular season award, and nobody could have maximized more out of the Knicks or, or really any team than he did with the Knicks. But when you say about laying the foundation, I would think that that kind of means about the roster. 
And again, I hate to paint a negative picture, but when you see how your superstar played and, and didn't play, I don't think that there's anything on the Nick roster that is set in stone. Let's put it that way. There's no piece on the Nick roster that I say, well, you know what? That guy's here. That, that, I'm not moving that guy. I think you have to have a much more open mind than that. So we'll get into the struggles of Julius Randle and, and the rest of the Knicks here as we move along. But let's get some phone calls involved. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Let's uh, start things off with Cullum is in the Bronx. Cullum, you're first up on ESPN New York. Gordon, what's up? Um, listen, I'll stay with I'll stay with your point. With we'll we'll not just wax poetically about the regular season. Let's talk about the playoffs. I can give you positives about the playoffs. Okay, we have our answers. We went into our playoffs and we have the answers that we needed. We we walked into the playoffs thinking Randall was a high two in a you know a, one, a number one player or a number two player. Now we know that he's a low two at best, and we know he's a three. With R.J. Barrett, with Emmanuel Quickly, with Obi Toppin, we have our answers with them. They're young, uh, and they're, they're young, and their needle is pointed upwards. No matter how high you, you think mm. they're going to go, I'm not talking yeah. about all-star, superstars, or anything like that, but the needle is obviously pointed upwards. So that's a good answer. That's an answer. Everybody else pretty much on the team right now it was all on one-year deals. The only people we have left besides that is obviously Mitchell Robinson, he looked promising. He's still a productive player. He can come back and let's see what he can do after this injury. And pretty much everybody else, I'd say Derek Rose is probably a likely candidate to be brought back and maybe Alec Burks. But other than that, everybody else is off the team. You have all the money. The foundation is there. If there's not a foundation to, to really I, but, but, be but, but, there, but, but, but I'm saying. Yeah, uh, but I mean, you're, you're still lot. saying it's that the best. Lot. There's no, the foundation is be ready to start. We could start yeah. here. We're yeah, at, all right. I mean, a, this is the better I, position we can possibly be in, I think, that I could imagine. And I wasn't worried about the playoffs because I knew we weren't winning anything. It didn't matter when we got bounced out. You know what I mean? It yeah, but I mean, you were, I mean, you didn't look like you belonged. That was the issue. I mean, you didn't belong against the Hawks. And the Hawks, are, you know, that's not one of the top three teams. And I'm not saying that you expected to even maybe win the series because I didn't. Um, I was hoping, but I, I wasn't expecting it. I don't know how you can say that the foundation is is set when you're admitting that the young players, you don't necessarily uh, forecast that they're going to be all-star players. Maybe they will at one point, but that's kind of hard to predict right now. And your best player, um, it's not like you can say he's a true franchise player. He's your franchise player, but with the way that he got exposed during the, I mean, that was a, a classic case of being exposed in the playoffs. So, but I'm, I'm, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to send it to the positive note. To yeah, it, I get it. Walking I mean, into the playoffs, walking into the playoffs, we thought Julius Randle was a high, a low one, high two. We yeah. know now he's a three. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's good yep. we found that answer. I think it's yeah. good we found that answer instead of instead of thinking uh, setting our hopes too high. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, no, before, I get it. I, I get that. Yeah, and I pointed that out, and, and thanks for the phone call. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely, uh, you definitely got answers on that. The only problem with that is, is that it's not like knowing that now it, it allows you to to uh, react to it, um, but there's no reaction to have to it, right? Like people will, will, will point out now, we had calls uh, the night the Knicks lost. Well, you clearly have to move Randall, and you got to get a, a superstar. Well, those guys got to kind of have to exist. Right? There's got to be one of those guys that's available before you're ready to do that. So 
Um, yeah, I, I get it. You, if you bend and twist enough, you can find some positives. And I said that the, the Knicks front office, uh, they cannot delude themselves into thinking that this is just a tweak or two away. And I don't think that they were going to do that anyway. I thought that this offseason uh, is going to be significant, right? They're going to make a significant amount of moves, not just um, at one big move or two big moves, but there's going to be, a, I think, a significant amount of turnover to the roster. I mean, there's already three or four guys on the roster that I think you can say without a, a shadow of a doubt are not going to be here. And the upgrading of the roster, it's pretty clear. You did not match up talent-wise to where the Hawks are. And I, I don't know that the, like, that's the thing. The Hawks were clearly more talented than the Knicks, but are they a super talented team? I, I don't know. I'm kind of interested to see that Sixer series. Like, are the Hawks going to push that series to six or seven games? I don't know. And, and as a Nick fan, part of you want, ah, I hope the Hawks just get smoked. But if they get smoked, that even speaks worse towards your performance, right? Like if the team that goes up against the Sixers and gets smoked just destroyed you in basically a gentleman's sweep, um, that doesn't really speak great to this successful year that we kind of all want to, to believe that they had. Let's go to Jimmy in Forest Hills. Jimmy, you're next up on ESPN New York. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You have a, a very entertaining show. Um, I have to disagree that the Knicks coach was outcoached. What okay. happened was the Hawks, who don't play any defense, all of a sudden they're playing defense. They were <laughs> able to up their game. They, they were able to up their game. The Knicks were not able to up their game because they were playing at 100% during the regular season. So, okay. so there was nowhere else to go. And, and I right. enjoyed the regular season. I yeah, thought of the Knicks were going to beat the Hawks. But, but the, as you say, the talent level just isn't there. It's okay. not there. But, but Jimmy, the, the, Hawks, me... the Hawks have tremendous talent. Let, let's find out. Let's uh, maybe they do. Maybe they. Maybe you're right. I don't know that. Um, I think that that's possible, but I don't know that for sure. I'm going to kind of judge that based on how they play uh, against the Sixers. If they go out there and get swept by the Sixers, then I'm not going to feel that way. If they if they push it to to six or seven games, well then maybe. Uh, I'll just say this: games three, four, and five were essentially a replay, and and essentially the entire yeah. series, Trey Young did whatever he wanted. The Knicks never had a game plan to even slow him down, to even take anything away. It would be one thing if Trey Young just lit you up or if Trey Young just got his teammates involved constantly. He was able to do both throughout the series. I'm sorry. I have to disagree with that. It's, it's not that you look at the Nets players. Uh-huh. They have three guys who, and it's the most boring game. You give them the ball. I don't think Nets fans are complaining. Pass. They try to dribble past whoever's defending them. If they can't dribble past them, they step back, they take a three-point shot. Jimmy, Uh, let me ask you, what what adjustment do you think that Tom Thibodeau made that was was good? There was no adjustment to be made. I mean, they have to try something. Your team can't score, and you're trotting out Nerlens Noel and, and, uh, and Taj Gibson left and right. I mean... At some point, you got to try something. Like, I gave him credit, and Jimmy, thanks for the phone call. I gave him credit for Derrick Rose because it seemed like that was, it wasn't that I wanted to do it, but I couldn't continue to put Alfred Payton in there and, and watch that when the guy was, uh, I mean, I don't know what it was, way to put it. It was complete liability on the court. So at least that was a change that he tried. It didn't really work because games three, four, and five, he got smoked. 
but at least he was trying something. There were no, there was nothing. It was the same sets every time. It was the same plays run. He never was able to get Randall going. He was never really able to get Randall in a different spot to kind of shake something loose. So I'm not telling you that Tom Thibodeau could have came up with the greatest game plan in the world and the Knicks might not have won the series. I will grant you that. But when I watch games three, four, and five, there's no adjustments and there's no change in the results. Uh, I don't know. I don't get the feeling that that was a good series for the head coach either. And when Trey Young is able to do basic, I mean, it was the same thing every single game. There was nothing to 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 change. Hit to, to, the, the Hawks made some adjustments, and they got better as the series went along. They scored what was it, eighty nine points in Game Five? They couldn't score, and they weren't really trying to do something. You know, maybe put Toppin out there with with Randall or do something. Try something. I'm not telling you that's why they lost the series. They probably would have lost the series anyway. The talent discrepancy was that great, but I'm not to, for a guy who's a defensive guru who has the reputation of this great defensive coach, was not a great... I don't think he's putting that one on the resume. don't think he's putting that one on the resume. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, my goodness. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. 1-800-919-ESPN. And uh, look, if you think that I am uh, negative, I'm pessimistic about the Knicks... Stay tuned for that second hour when we get into the Yankees. That is going to be, oh, that's going to be a ton of fun. Ton of fun. Can't wait for a Saturday night watching the Yankees go down flailing against the Red Sox. But we've been talking about the Knicks uh, now that the season is over. And it's, I think it's, it's a good time, right? Because it, the season ended on Wednesday. You've had a couple of days to digest it. And certain things, um, in the moment, sometimes the anger and the frustration they, they, you're not thinking rationally, right? You need a couple of days to cool off and, and think back. And, uh, and I think that I don't really find myself being angered or frustrated per se over the series because it was clear the Hawks were just a much better team. You know, it would be much more, it would t- it'd be tougher to deal with if it were like game one, right? Like you lose on a last second shot. That, that's a tough one to take, and that takes a while to get over. When you watch games three, four, and five, <laughs> you just kind of have to like clean off your hands and be like, all right, well, let's get ready for the offseason because they were not winning that series. So, um, but I do think that you have to kind of dive into the individual players. And I think that the, the especially with as much change as expected, um, to look at the ones that you are expecting to be part of next year, right? We were talking about the, 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 the narrative out there is the Knicks have, have laid the foundation. And uh, I guess it, it just kind of depends for me what you mean by that. Like the front office, yeah, I think that the, the front office is, is, is better than anybody they've had here in a while. I have some confidence in them, but this offseason is going to tell the tale there. They haven't, they haven't done anything major as of yet. Uh, and the coach, like what I got out of the coach in year one, and, and the regular season was fantastic, and it was nice to – it's almost like – you know, I brought up this point um, the other night. When the Yankees were turning the corner in – I guess it was like 92-93. When they would win a big game, they would play uh, Twisted Sisters, we're not going to take it. Like basically say, you know, the, 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 the bad times are over and, and we're turning the page on that and, and the arrow is pointing upward for this organization and we're, we're not going to be the laughing stock. We're not going to be the punchline anymore. Uh, so I think that that, yeah, I think that there is some of that, that the Knicks laid the foundation this year, that they now have competent people 
running the show far more <laughs> than they have. It's not really, it's more of an indictment of the previous people than them, but they had a brilliant year and, and kudos to them. But if you mean laying the foundation in terms of the roster, that's where I kind of disagree because I don't think you can say that when you have as many questions coming out of this playoff series about your best player. This was, if you wanted to draw up a worst case scenario for Julius Randle, this was pretty much it. I mean, he shot 29% for the series, 33% from three, and he was taken out of the series. I mean, you kept waiting for the moment for it to click. I was hoping for that in game five. I was hoping for that in game four, and he just was never... The Knicks never looked like the team that they were in the regular season, mainly because Julius Randle never looked like the same guy. He looked like the guy from last year. I think he actually looked worse. In Game 5, Clint Capella absolutely backed up everything that he said. He was, for the first three quarters, he was absolutely everywhere, including taking up a sizable portion inside Julius Randle's head. I mean, he could not finish at the basket, and that's... That's not really his game, but uh, he, he just never was able to get on track. And the real area that was the most, I looked at some of the stats, in the regular season on mid-range jumpers, Randall shot 41%. In the playoff series, he shot 10.3%. That is jarring. So I did not, going into this series, there's always things that you can not, kind of never predict. I never envisioned that his postseason would be able to diminish what he did during the regular season. But I got to be honest, I kind of think that it absolutely did that. Like if we're all saying that the playoffs proved that he's not the, he can't be the number one guy, he's either, uh, you know, a high, a low two or a high three, that's how bad it was. Now I get his teammates didn't help very much. I get that the roster has to be improved to, you know, a lot. But to me, this series was all about. Trey Young doing whatever he wanted and Julius Randle not being able to ever get going, never being able to make any real adjustments. Um, It was tough. It was a tough watch. And and now you kind of have to deal with that reality because I don't think he's going anywhere. Now the contract question, that's going to be out there this off season. What you do with that? Do you let him play out uh, the final year of his deal? Do you sign him to the four year extension? I I think that at least the, 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 takes that I've heard, even if the Knicks were to offer him the four-year extension, he might not take it. Uh, I don't know necessarily that that would be the worst thing in the world. He's your, he, he's your guy. And until you can find a way to get someone better than him here, you kind of got to ride with who you got. But I, I do think that the playoffs were so bad for him that it did kind of diminish. And it does make me kind of question, was the regular season the outlier? Was that almost... Uh, a bit of wishful thinking that, you know, sometimes a guy has huge improvements and then you, you kind of expect, well, this is the new guy. This is the way he's going to be from this point forward. And that's not always the case. Sometimes there's a regression. And I would be a little worried about that when it comes to uh, Julius Randle, that maybe the guy we saw during the regular season this year and the guy over his career, right? I think he was the oldest guy to ever win most improved player or something like along those lines. So there might be a reason for why it might be a little wishful thinking to think that going into next season, well, Randall will just go right back to the guy he was in the regular season or some form of that. Maybe that's the outlier that will never be reached again. You have to at least question it after these playoffs. 
1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Uh, let's go to Spike, formerly of Jersey, now in St. Pete. Spike, what's going on, pal? Good afternoon. I think you beat us by one degree today. You're 91 there yeah, and 90 here. There you go. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. So here's what I feel. First of all, props to to Cullum and the Bronx and Buddha and and you know the terrific young callers. Uh, very impressed by the knowledge. Um, you know it, this wasn't very difficult. You talk about songs. There was an old song by Marilyn McCool and Billy Davis Jr. called "You Don't Have to Be a Star Baby." Sure, of course, and, uh, to be in my show. That, right, and and. Um, Julius Randall just took it upon himself to try and be a star. He tried too hard. He met the competition. What bothered me more than that, nothing really bothered me, though. I got to tell you, honestly, I was bothered the end result. I'm contradicting myself, but they weren't a fourth seed. They were probably the 15th or 16th talented, most talented team, which is the bottom, that got into the playoffs, and the seeding was, was erroneous. It just was. The record indicated they got the seeding because of the tiebreaker. You always meet your, your match. Now, here's what you see. I see maybe three or four keepers, and then the two outside keepers at veterans minimum, which would be Rose and Taj Gibson, if Rose will take that. Now, I'm not so sure. I think he loves Thibodeau, and I think he's made plenty of money. But you never know. Can't get in anyone's pocket. Taj Gibson's a terrific 15-minute-a-night player because he's fundamentally sound, and he's the, the clubhouse guy. They got to make a move. I've heard a lot of banter and, and theories and Dame Lillard and Kawhi Leonard. Why don't you uh, just, uh, you know, get Michael Jordan to suit up? <laughs> right, this sure. Stuff, you, this, yeah, this stuff doesn't happen. It, it rarely happens. Now there are extenuating circumstances with the families and, and his career. Look, look, we, uh, Thibodeau, was he outcoached? Yes, he was outcoached. This is what he had. He didn't have much talent. He maximized the efficiency of his players. We saw deficiencies that were glaring. You watch every dribble, as we all did. We were enthralled to run home or stay home and watch the Knicks games. It was a wonderful season. He, they were spent at the end. So what do you do? Do you keep an R.J. Barrett if, if the deal on the other end is worth it? R.J. Barrett, to me, and I think I have a pretty good eye. He's played about 100 and some odd games. He looks like he'll be a very functional player. He looks like he's pretty in pretty good shape, albeit you never know with uh, basketball injuries. He's durable. He's learning on the job. The two rookies they drafted this year, Topin came on, the Topin rather, came on very late. He's very athletic. He more than anybody else missed a point guard because there were no pick and rolls for him. Uh, quickly, he looks like a, a bench player. I see a lot of John Starks in him, and I see some uh, – What's the kid's name? Trey Young with the floater and the shot. Uh, pull the trigger. But there's not much there. Now, I'll leave you with this, and thanks for the time. I, I have never was a, a Mitchell Robinson fan. I didn't dislike him. I just thought guys like Knowles did more, even though he was small and he was probably a better shot blocker. Uh, Robinson, I didn't see much else than batting balls into the 15th row. Uh, he'd come out for the weave, stand there, and he didn't do, do, do anything with the ball. Not that Knowles uh, did, but what I was really impressed with in that last game, or next to the last game, Knowles got fouled, and I think he made eight out of eight. And I mean, yeah. that's pretty good. You know? yeah. So, so what, we, what we have here is an overachieving team with a lot of salary cap, and Colin explained it to me last night. You don't have to match the money if you have the cap space. So go shoot for the moon, 
But if you can get Dame Lillard, I want him for five years already, by all means, get him. And if he can convince Kawhi Leonard, who put on a masterpiece performance last night, masterpiece, he wouldn't let his team lose. And that's it. You know, we enjoyed our basketball this year. And this year could go sideways or it could go up or it could go down a little bit. It remains to be seen. I'll tell you one thing, Gordon. It's up to these guys that we touted all year how wonderful that front office is. They can't fail us now. Yeah. Well, the regular season, Spike, thanks for the phone call. It was uh, it was Tibbs' show during the regular season. Now it's about the front office. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, to me, uh, I would not be surprised if the Knicks do make a move this offseason that he would not be back. Uh, that would not shock me at all. He obviously, he was hurt a lot this year, and uh, it just doesn't seem like he kind of meshes up with the – with Tibbs, it just feels like, you know, it just has no offensive game. I think he wants to try to have an offensive game, but uh, it doesn't seem like that has, uh, has meshed so far. So I would not be surprised all that much if uh, he uh, is not back here. There's going to be a lot of turnover. I think there ha- kind of has to be a lot of turnover with this uh, with this roster. And look, I'm not tired. Again, I don't want to make it out like the regular season. The enjoyment you got from the regular season, having a team to watch meaningful games, uh, the entire year, <laughs> a lot of times the, the meaningful games ended for the Knicks in in November, the last few years, not this year. They had a team that played with defense and with heart, overcame obstacles, overcame injuries, growing as a team over the season. But what I think you saw was that they were gutty and gritty and hardworking and gutty and gritty and hardworking teams. They don't really last in the playoffs. The playoffs are about in the NBA or about talent or about star power and the Knicks got to go find some. And there's not a, a ready-made place to go get them. I, I know people are saying the Knicks are now an attractive destination. I don't know. Maybe it's because I've been burned from so many free agent watches in the past. Until it happens, I, I'm kind of a little skeptical that it's going to happen. But, yeah, they definitely have to, uh, to upgrade the talent on the team. No question about that. Let's go to uh, Carol is in New Jersey. Carol, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hi, Gordon. How are you? Carol, how are you? Fine. Absolutely fine. You know, I thought that Derek Rose gave it a valiant effort. Yes. Yeah, he gave yeah, all he, he could, did. but he didn't have that much left to give, right? I mean, he's he's thirty-two. He didn't and... have much help. Yeah. He didn't have much help from the other players. No, That's he did the not. Problem, unfortunately. Nope. But um, I don't know if they should be so quick to get rid of Randall. Uh, I think maybe they should hang on to him for a little bit longer. But that that's just my opinion. I don't know. Well, look, Carol, and thanks for the phone call. I, I think they're going to uh, because I don't think, you know, again, like it's, it's like say, well, wait, we're going to move them. OK, well, what are you going to get back for them? Like, even if you think that the Randall this regular season was a, a was a bit of a fluke. I mean, where are you going to find someone better than that? Right. Even if he does regress some, I think he was probably a, 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 even with the regression. I think he's a top 30 player. And uh, going to find one of the 29 better players is going to be difficult. And the other part of it is, you know, everybody was watching the playoffs. It wasn't just like the Knicks that were watching the playoffs. So if Randall was able to do what he did for the Knicks, basically carry this team to 41 wins and carry them to the four seed in the conference, if they did, if he was able to do that for them, and they're the ones who are wanting to move on, wouldn't that make other teams a little bit more hesitant to say, well, let's... They, he did all these things for this other team, but this other team seems to be willing to get rid of him. Maybe we should be a little leery about that. So I think Randall's going to be back. I do think it's a bit of a question on how he comes back. Does he play out the option? Do you offer him the four-year deal? Does he accept the four-year deal? The Knicks have a lot of cap space, so 
I would think that how you go about building your team is still a, a bit of a question, but it's a little disappointing that the playoffs ended in such a way where I would not say that there's one concrete thing on the roster that under no set of circumstances am I moving. There's not one guy on the, on the team that I would say that about, and that includes Randall. Uh, I don't know other, what, what other way to put it. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, my goodness. One hour has flown by already. Who says time flies when you're having fun? We've not been having fun. I think it's been a fun show, but we've been talking a lot of, you know, unpleasant topics. The way the Knicks season's ended, the future moving forward, a lot of question marks. No other way to, uh, to put it. And then, of course, we have to get to the Yankees as well. The Yankees have scored... 215 runs in 58 games. That is their fewest through 58 games since 1990. And their 228 batting average is their lowest through 58 games since even before I was born. 1968. Oh my good God. It has been that bad. And I feel like I've been shouting this from the mountaintops for a long time. The offense stinks. And there's one one area that if you could wave a magic wand would make it a whole lot better. And it's not the one that people are focusing on. People keep focusing on, well, they got to put the ball in play. They're fundamentally flawed. No, it's none of those things. Not, are you not watching? Maybe people just aren't watching. I don't know. All right, so let's continue with the Knicks. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. I did want to touch, you know, the NBA playoffs are fascinating to me in individual series. Not all the series are fascinating to me, though. Um, but a couple of them are. Obviously, the, the Game 7 Clippers and Mavs, that is going to be fascinating. And as a Knicks fan, it, it, like I think I know what I'm rooting for. I, I guess I have to root Clippers there, even though this outside possibility, if the Clippers were to lose in the opening round, maybe Kawhi Leonard all of a sudden says, you know what, I need out of here. It's almost like the, the Lillard situation. Like, okay, let's say that happens, and let's say he does want out of there. The Knicks are the place he definitely wants to go to. He's not going to go someplace. I don't know. It just seems uh, strange. So anytime that I can see uh, Christoph Porzingis get knocked out in the first round, that would be. I think that that would be, even though uh, the, the Clipper situation, the Kawhi situation is one to, to keep an eye on. I think that the, the Mavs losing. I'll just take that. <laughs> I, I just give me that one. Uh, if I had to pick, I'll just take that one. And then obviously you get the, uh, the Nets starting their series against the Bucks with game one and it almost feels like to look I'm on I'm not a net fan and I'm not necessarily rooting for them as much as uh, my wallet is rooting for them if you catch my drift um but I just think that you know it almost seems like people are like wow the NBA playoffs are really wide open this year are they though are they because I think that the Nets as things move along here the the consensus is going to start to form and I'm already I'm already on the consensus the Nets are the best team the Nets are going to roll through this. And, and I, look, I, I think that this series might be uh, their best test in the Eastern Conference for sure. Maybe it's their best test of the NBA playoffs. But I just take a look at those three guys. I mean, those three guys are so talented. You could go through NBA history trying to find a team that's got three guys that are as talented as that. And I'll tell you one thing, whatever teams you come up with, they're not playing in the NBA playoffs this year. And I don't think that that team is the Bucks. So to me, tonight is almost a, I think that you have to put the Nets, if the Nets are not going to win, 
I think that you have to see how they respond under pressure. And I'm not, I'm not even convinced that they're going to really be, that there's going to be a crisis point in the Eastern Conference. But if you can force that, I think you have to get, obviously, in front in the series. And if you don't win game one, it becomes a little bit more difficult to get in front of the series. You're going to now win two games against the Nets to put them down two games to one. I think that the, that the, for the Bucs, they got to prove tonight that they can hang with the Nets. And I, I expect that they might be able to um, maybe slow them down. Def- I just have a hard time believing that any team is going to be able to slow them down enough and then also be able to score with them. I just find that very hard to believe. I got to kind of see it to believe it. So uh, that will be an interesting uh, game one there, absolutely for sure. And then, as I mentioned, the, the Sixers and Hawks series is going to be fascinating just to see are the Hawks far more talented than I think they are. I think they're talented, but I don't know that they're necessarily um, going to match up with the Sixers, even with the Sixers banged up. Now, if they do, that might make me feel a little bit better about where the Knicks are at. But if they go out there and lose in four or five, well, then that makes me feel even worse about where the Knicks are because the Knicks were nowhere close to the Hawks. And if the Hawks are nowhere close to the Sixers, geez, there's a lot of work to be done. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go out to uh, Jimmy is in Rahway. Jimmy, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hey, Gordon, man. Uh, listen, Spike hit the nail on the head when he was talking about point guard player or lack of like a workhorse point, point guard, especially for Obi Toppin. Like the Knicks never, I mean, you think about our, our runs, John Starks, Chris Childs, Charlie Ward. We never really had, you know, even Jason Kidd. No, he was haven't had a point guard years forever. old. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's Damian Lillard. As much as Kawhi Leonard, that'd be amazing. And, you know, we're, we're grasping at straws here, but I think that's the play. So I want to play it. If, you, if you're Neil O'Shea, right? Because the Knicks fans can say, well, we'll give him this. You, Gordon, will be Neil O'Shea. If I offer you a trade, you let me know if you accept it. So Dame Lillard comes to you and says, hey, I'm, a, I'm unhappy here. I want to leave. The Knicks come to you with two ones. They're two ones this year. There's in Dallas. And they're two twos this year. And Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox. Is that enough to take Damian Lillard away from Florida? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Jimmy. Well, look, Jimmy, it's almost unfair because I don't know what other offers are going to be offered from other teams, right? Like when you mention a name like Damian Lillard, uh, that's a, that's a guy that a lot of teams are going to have interest in. So if he says he wants out and he wants uh, out immediately, um, unless he says, well, I'm only going to the Nick, you know, almost like a James Harden situation where he's like, I, I'm not going anywhere, but this place trade me there. It, it's just very hard for me yeah. to envision a scenario where you can make a move and that that's going to be the best offer that's out there. It's, it's tough. One follow-up, Gordon. Do yeah. you, if you're Scott Perry, Say, hey, Mello, $2.4 million mid-cap exemption like you did this year, come back home. Is that even a possibility? Uh, I, I don't think that that's the way they're going to go. And I, I, I feel like that he's better off not be, – it's almost like the, the Darnold situation. Both sides are better off uh, being where they are. I hope that that's not a road that they go down because uh, I, I just don't want to go through all those, all those, um, those storylines that you know will have to go down again, bringing Mello back here. It, it would yeah. feel like don't be, don't uh, a little too bit going down the same road yeah. again. And don't be too depressed. We're, we're a long way away from Howard oh. Isley and Clarence Weatherspoon. So Absolutely. Look, I, look the, 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 they're far more functional. And, Jimmy, thanks for the phone call. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can at least go into next year having an expectation that the team is, is going to be a legitimate team. Now, I don't know that they're going to get to the four seed again. I don't know that they're going to, you know, uh, win a playoff series next year. I got to see, you know, what team, what team are you going to have? But, no, I mean – 
at least you can now, they're not a laughing stock anymore. They're not, they're not the punchline of the league anymore. They're, they're a legitimate team that has probably in the last, you'd have to say in the last 20 years, while they don't maybe have the best team of the last 12, maybe, um, they certainly have more tools at their disposal to improve the team. Like the 54-win team, they were, I'm almost positive they were capped out at the time, that that was like, that you knew where the ceiling was, and that was it. Uh, and then it fell apart very quickly after that. So between draft picks and cap space and someone in the front office and Leon Rose is a former agent who I think is going to have a finger on the pulse of, of what's out there and what's available and what deals he can make, certainly far more so than anybody who was running the team here the last 15, 20 years. So no, there's more than enough reasons to be optimistic. I'm just not, Nick fans don't need any reasons to be optimistic. They are always optimistic, sometimes a little bit too optimistic. So when the narratives form like the foundation has been laid, I think you have to clarify what that means. And I think in terms of maybe the front office, yes, I would think that the foundation, that there is an expectation now, we're not going to take it anymore. Um, the, the, the bad old days are gone and these guys actually know what they're doing. That's fair. But in terms of the roster, it's kind of hard to say the foundation is laid when I don't have one guy that I'm saying, well, this is the guy I'm building around. You still don't have that. So uh, I do think you have to kind of clarify the two points. Let's go out to Anthony in the Bronx. Anthony, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hey, thanks for taking my call. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. You said it good um, about uh, I trust the Knicks front office because they're much better. But the talent they have is not going to get them where they want to be right now. And Derrick Rose and Kawhi Leonard, there's no way they come into the Knicks. Uh, for what? Because they would be in the same situation or worse than, than um, Damon Little right. is in, in Portland right. and right. Kyrie Irving is in Right. Um, it's, it's, it's a lateral move. Right. Now, well, look, if for and some reason point, they huh? want to be in New York because they feel like that's the place that they want to make their mark, you know, there, there are scenarios like that, although they want to win you know, actual yeah, evidence win is hard to find. No, but yeah, I would think that winning a title is the most important thing. And it doesn't really make sense for Damian Lillard to say, you know what, I'm tired of first-round playoff exits. Get me to the Knicks. You know what I mean? Like, there's not – it's not exactly what I think would be his first choice. In my opinion, Damian Lillard is not a 1A superstar. 1A superstars are guys like Kobe and LeBron. Wow. I mean, yeah, but I mean – but, Anthony, he's far better than anything they've had here in a very long time. Oh, right? Like, oh, like, that's my point, that those guys have to exist. So I can't sit back and say, well, he's not a 1A. So he's not Kobe, so I'm not uh, – he's better than anything I got right now. And if I can go get him, no, well, no, by all means, go get him. Disputable. You, you, yeah. you can't dispute that. But um, And, again, and, and with Tibio, I don't know – and I'm not pronouncing his name properly. Yeah, but that's all right. I don't know why he gets – a great coach. I mean, you know, sometimes we get titles to guys just like Julius Randle. And I'm a Laker fan. I must admit that, but I'm from New York City. So, but I'm a, I've been a Laker fan over 37 years. So I, I, I knew Julius Randle. So they were saying, oh, he's a great player. I'm saying, just watch. Watch when the playoffs come. And with, uh, with, with the coach, based upon his records in Chicago, based upon his relationships in, in, um, in Minnesota, how is he a great coach? Well, I think people are Anthony. I think people are judging him on what he did this year. And and look, uh, well, look are there questions the about him in the postseason with his reputation? That might be fair. But ta- I mean, he essentially took a team that won twenty games last year, and they had no major changes, 
and they won 41. You got to be fair. He did. He got more out of this team than anybody thought was possible. What's that? He couldn't make adjustments in the playoffs. Well, look, I'm not telling you it was a perfect job. Um, I don't think it was a perfect job. And Anthony, thanks for the phone call. But I mean, you got to be fair. I mean, (laughs) Vegas thought that the Knicks were going to win 22 games. And it wasn't like everybody was hammering the over, right? Like, hey, they put 22 and maybe it moved up to 23. But everybody was like, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah, they're going to win about maybe 25 games. I think uh, when we were doing the show with Larry that at night, um, I I think that I said if everything goes right, maybe they win 30. And that was like everything really goes right, that that was the talent they had. And Tibbs came in. And you'd have to say, in terms of maximizing the talent that he had, nobody in the league could have maximized. Who was getting more out of the Knicks this year than what Tibbs did? You think that there's a coach out there that would have been able to get them to 45 wins? Take a look at the way they – it's almost like the way they lost in the playoffs actually makes the regular season more impressive. When they went up against a good team on a night-in-night-out basis, the games weren't even close in the second half. So, yes, that, that might be a knock on uh, – clearly on the team and on the talent and maybe someone on the coach. But if you look at the regular season, I mean, you have to give them credit. You have to – that was an amazing job to be able to pull that off. And that was the big move that they had. He was the addition. They didn't make any major trades. They got Derrick Rose for Dennis Smith Jr. and a second-round pick. I mean, come on. Oh, that's right. The the Belmont is today, too. I mean, that is major. The final leg of horse racing's Triple Crown. Now, Medina Spirita is is not racing. But it turns out, I've heard some whispers that Medina Spirit is actually training to join the UFC. <laughs> He's working on his buys and tries in the gym. He's pumping iron! Yeah! All right, it's Gordon Damer Show. It's 98.7 FM ESPN New York. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, of course, as we uh, take you up until 6.30 tonight. The laptop, the uh, audio is on there, so we got to close that off. Uh, let's get back to the phone, shall we? 1-800, the whole thing is going off the rails. The, the audio on the computer never plays during the break. It's always when I come back from break, and then all of a sudden I'm saying, where's that sound coming from? Let's go back to the phone, shall we? Get back on track. JP is in uh, Brooklyn. JP, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hey, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been listening to this show, and um, I want to talk about the the Nets. The Knicks season is over. Let's start being respectful. Okay, the Nets, I mean, the Knicks. Well, we're talking about, we play the hits, JP. So what people want to talk about, that's what we talk about. What things that are interesting and people care about. Now, the Nets, my yeah. the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, they have a lot to prove. I don't know if you guys are paying attention right now, but there's not a lot of championship pedigree. No, left, zero. You know, uh, yeah. uh, playing. There's no real, and it's only the second round. Well, you know? I mean, JP, just take a look at the teams that are left in the playoffs. There's not a whole, I mean, there's not, a, there's not really I mean, a team look, out there that has a championship pedigree. Yeah, unless you're talking about Dwight Howard and um, Danny Green in Philadelphia. Yeah, but uh, we're talking about the teams uh, uh, themselves. And, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. the Sixers haven't won since '83, right? I mean, that was their last title. Um, you know, you just take a look Brooklyn at the teams. The Nets has, have never won. Bucks has been forever. So no, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of championship pedigree in a lot of teams. I would think probably half the teams have never won that are left in the playoffs right now. Brooklyn is in a beautiful situation, whereas 
those guys, the, the, the NBA story, they get to, to add to it. And that's why it's very important as individual players, the Brooklyn squad, uh, the big three, uh, they, it's, this is their time to add to that, to the NBA story. That's why this series is very important to them. Uh, they have to beat them convincingly to uh, uh, put that explanation point where, as those three guys, why they belong in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, they're all. Going, I mean, they're all going to the Hall of Fame anyway, JP. I mean, uh, yeah, but this is an important series. Oh no, I mean, they have to win. I don't know that they have to win uh, convincingly. I think you just have to keep winning, um, and I think they will. I think I have the Nets uh, winning in five. I think the Nets are, are, are going to roll through this Eastern Conference. I just have a hard time believing that a the Bucks defense is going to be able to get stops, and even if they are, is their offense? You know, like when they need shots and they take away. You know what is Giannis going to be able to do offensively against the against Brooklyn, and if if they are able to kind of slow him down, who who's hitting shots on the Bucks that is is all of a sudden going to make me worried about the Nets not being able to close them out fairly quickly? So um, I do think the Nets will win that series. I have the Nets winning the whole thing, so I obviously have them winning that series. Yeah, right, you know, let's uh, bring the championship home to Brooklyn. Yes. This is where yes. championships belong. It belongs in Brooklyn. Yeah. The basketball yeah. championship. It's been know, a long time since Brooklyn's had a championship. Yeah. I mean, might be. Yeah. Uh, look, it's amazing. And JP, thanks for the phone call. It's amazing that even with the next season being over and the Nets rolling through the playoffs like they are, I'm sure at some point there's going to be, and if they do win a title, I'm sure that there will be interest there. I would guess they have a parade, and I'm sure people will show up for the parade. It's just, it's amazing that the level of interest still with the Knicks, with their season being over and the Nets season still rolling along and looking as promising as it is, uh, that the the interest level is still 90-10 one way. And I would just say this about two things. One caller before said, you know, the Nets, the way they win is boring. The Knicks, if they had one of those guys, if they had two of those guys, they would be dancing in the streets. You might say it's boring because it's not your team, but if it were your team, I don't hear any Net fans complaining about the, the style of play or anything like that. Uh, now, I don't know that many Net fans. JP was the first one to call today, but you know what I'm saying. The second thing is, is that I've heard some fans and even, I guess, some media kind of compare the Knicks season. Well, you know, you have to lay the base first. You have to lay the foundation. And, and look what the Nets did. They made the playoffs that first year. They got knocked out. And then they got Kevin Durant and, and, and Kyrie. And then this year they got uh, James Harden. I, I don't know that that's really a sustainable blueprint. Like hoping that all of a sudden two of the top 15 players are just going to all out of the blue decide that they want to come to your team. Like, I don't know that that's the way you go about building a team. Now, look, it's worked for Brooklyn, but I don't know. It seems like a lot of teams try to pin their hopes to that kind of blueprint, and it doesn't, they're the one exception to the rule. And I don't know that that's necessarily a sustainable blueprint. Just kind of, well, let's put some things together and then hope against hope that one day two of the, the best you know, 10, 15 players in the sport all of a sudden decide, this is where I'm going. And I know at the time they talked about the Nets culture and they loved this and they loved that. Boy, they, for loving that culture, they couldn't wait to break it up, get rid of the coach, trade off these players. for those. It's worked. Every team would, would gladly 
trade places with where the Nets are at right now. I just don't know that it's a, a sustainable plan, that one that you can repeat other places. Let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go to Barbara's on Staten Island. Barbara. Hey there. Hey, Barbara. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good, good. Got a couple things to say. Okay. And some of the things were said. And the Knicks, they're still good. They're still good. Okay. But I'll tell you that Trey Kid, yeah, he Trae needs Young. to get out of the NBA. Needs to he leave the NBA. He's very cocky. Mm-hmm. Huh? He needs to he leave the NBA. Cocky. Okay. He does. He needs yeah. to go back and play street ball because that's how he plays. Well, I don't and, know. He seemed like he did pretty added, well. Nah, and his attitude, yeah. you know, little kids wanting to be basketball players and seeing him the way he plays. Well, wait a second, Barbara. People, basketball. in fairness to Trey Young, people were, were chanting F you to him in an arena, like 15,000 people. A guy spit on him. Well, that's because he made a smirk. Wow. <laughs> so that punishment fits there. the crime. He smirked one but time you know so we could spit on him but and you know chant what? F you. But you know, know. What? It, it seems like uh, it doesn't seem like the, 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 the punishment fits the crime there. No, he's just very cocky. And wow. even Clyde Frazier so. said the same thing. That the Knicks sounded, the, the, just, in fairness, Barbara, the Knicks came across as pretty cocky as well. And, and then, unfortunately, no, not like the Knicks, not like the Hawks, they weren't able to back it up. Because of him, that's why the right, Knicks he was better. did what they did. Right. He was better, though. Who was better? Trey Young. He, he sucks. He sucks. He, sucks. He's, he, would say he ate you for lunch. He ate you for breakfast, lunch, and, and dinner, and then mixed in a brunch every once in a while. He ate you alive. What are you talking about? Did you watch the series, Barbara? Yeah. That's not that. You see the way he plays. That's not basketball. Well, they they, they had the logo on the court. Kids had to play basketball like that uh, and have an attitude. Well, nah, I mean, look, I don't attitude. So. I mean, he he does carry himself with a certain level of confidence. I'm not going to say that I agree with the uh, you know all the the parts of his game, but uh, I don't know. He seemed like a pretty sensational player. And if we want to criticize the reactions of people, and Barbara, thanks for the phone call. I think we could point out the Nick fan. <laughs> Again, you can. It's amazing you have an issue with with the way Trey Young acted, and not with the the Knicks fans were chant, chanting "F you." I don't. I'm not. I'm not clutching my pearls. But if we're going to call anybody into into uh, the kangaroo court about the way they've they've acted, I would think that that would probably be uh, the one. And I'll tell you this right now: if all of a sudden the Knicks got a cocky, brash young player like Trey Young. Nick fans all of a sudden, see the way he, he carries himself with the confidence of the city. In this town, you have to believe in yourself before you can accomplish anything. I think you would have okay. Is he a guy that when he's on the other team, you hate him, but if he's on your team, you love him? Absolutely. But I don't know. I don't think, again, I might be going out on a limb. I don't think Trey Young's going to leave the NBA. I don't think they're going to force him to retire. I don't think that's going to happen. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. All right, already two 
two hours have absolutely flown by. Now, if you're just joining us, I, I can kind of understand, right? Beautiful day outside. You're, you're having fun with the family outdoors, having maybe some drinks, sitting by the pool. What you have missed has been uh, an in-depth breakdown of the Knicks season now that it is over. Ends on Wednesday night. Game five lost the Hawks, and uh, we've, we've run it all down. And uh, we focused on a lot of negatives. I have to be honest. Even as great as the regular season was, the way the season ended, you have to differentiate that. You can't say the Knicks had a great season when the playoffs looked like that. You can say they had a great regular season. They completely overachieved in the regular season. All those type of things. But we've taken a look at the roster moving forward, looking back. And uh, we've broken it down. And uh, as bad as that conversation may have seemed to you, that was the uh, optimistic part of the show because now we have to turn our uh, eye to uh, the negative portion of the show, and that would be your New York Yankees. The Yankees are sitting, heading into the day, at 31-26 and 26 on the season. They are now uh, half a game out of fourth place in the American League East. The American League East, a division where the Yankees have proven they cannot beat the Rays. It's a division where they really can't beat the Jays. And, well, at least for one game, they haven't beaten the Red Sox. But hear me out. You might disagree initially, but I feel like this is a point that needs to be made. It's almost like the Yankees aren't very good. It's almost like having a lineup filled with guys who can't hit is bad. I know, it's strange, right? You would figure... Even having uh, the bad guys in the lineup, eventually it'll all come together. Last night, obviously, it was a glaring thing, right? The bottom four hitters, 0 for 15. And as I said earlier, there was a portion of the season, early on in the year, no longer early, but early on in the season when the Yankees weren't hitting, you were allowed to say, boy, this is really strange. The Yankees just don't have any guys that were really hitting all that well. They have a lot of guys who can't hit right now. It's very odd. They're not scoring runs. The r- scoring runs is the Yankees' backbone of the team. Yeah, the bullpen is very, very good, and you're hoping the starting pitching would be okay. It's been, it's been above average by far. But the offense, eventually it's going to click. You are allowed to do that earlier on in the year. But now as we're sitting here on June 5th with the same names – basically day in and day out, you are not allowed to be surprised anymore. The Yankees can't be surprised anymore. And it sounds like they're still surprised. Now, we'll listen to Aaron Boone, if you heard the postgame last night. He sounded like a guy who was completely out of answers. And the Yankee lineup is essentially this. Guys who are slumping, and I think in that category, you would put DJ LeMayhew and Glaber Torres clearly. Guys who are hurt in guys like Aaron Hicks and uh, Voigt, sometimes Stanton, given the day. And then you have guys who, for whatever reason, just aren't very good. And in that group, you'd have to say Frazier's in there, Sanchez is in there, Odor is clearly in there, and Brett Gardner is clearly in there. And I had to laugh. After last night, I think Sanchez was, what, 0 for 4 with four strikeouts? I saw a post headline that says that Sanchez's bad night sets back his progress 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 yesterday i had an update on my apple watch so all day yesterday the stupid apple watch is updating and it has like the little line 
And I keep coming back to it. I'm like, is this thing frozen? Is it moving forward? Is it not moving forward? That's Sanchez. The line is just sitting in the same place and it's just frozen. It's not doing anything. And the days of when Gary Sanchez has a couple of hits here or there for you to think, well, you know what? Maybe he's coming out of it. Boy, that takes a level of optimism, man, that has been beaten out of me for many a year. I mean, that is the youthful optimism of a child to think that at this point, you're going to get a a stretch, a long stretch of the season where Gary Sanchez is part of the solution in the Yankee lineup. Those days have sailed, man. Come on. I mean, what are we doing here? And he's not alone. Clint Frazier has had his opportunities, has been a complete bust, complete bust. And then you have guys like Rugnit Odor and Brett Gardner, who, I mean, I don't know what other way to put it. They're just not major league players. Rugnit Odor has not been an above average player in five years. And that's what it comes back to with the Yankees. It's the offense. You realize the Mariners, Rangers, and Indians have all been no hit twice this year. All of them have scored more runs than the Yankees this season. All of them. The Yankees as a team are hitting 228. But more importantly than that, they are slugging 372. That is 24th in baseball. But you know what? It's kind of skewed because the National League has hitters hit this year. So that obviously is going to drop their numbers down. So I haven't gone back and done all the math because you wouldn't trust my math even if I did it. But you'd have to think that some of those teams would be better than the Yankees and they would be even further down if you eliminated all the at-bats pitchers were having in their lineup. And you're talking about the Yankees' offense being down along with the Marlins and the Pirates and the Mariners. And that's the issue. More so than anything else, the power has left the building. Go through the numbers of the Yankees' hitters. It's not just that they have a bunch of guys hitting 200. It's that they have... Absolutely no power. Glaber Torres, last year, remember last year where he had this abysmal season and it was chalked up to the fact that he didn't come back in shape and he was out of shape? But don't worry, this year, he's in shape. This is him in shape? I would almost rather you tell me he's out of shape. I'd feel better. He has taken three steps back and the third one was off a cliff. He was a guy who a couple of years ago was slugging in the 500s. He was a middle infielder. He was one of the best young players in the sport. And he has regressed to such a level that last year, where are the numbers? I have them here somewhere. They're written down. Last year in the season, he had three home runs in 42 games last year. He has two in 48 It's worse this year than it was last year. Clint Frazier last year in 39 games had eight home runs. In this year, 47 games, he has five. The slugging percentages have completely fallen off the cliff. Now, I understand the baseball, everybody says is a different ball this year. They're limiting home runs. Okay, fine. That might be part of the problem. But I don't think that you can chalk it up to being the whole problem. After all, every other team seems to have adjusted okay to it. Glaber Torres in 2019, at the age of 22, 
was a two-time All-Star with an OPS of 871, an OPS plus, where 100 is about league average. He was at plus 127. Right now, he's 99. He's slugging 341. This year, after a, a shortened season last year, of slugging 368. So when people want to tell you why the Yankees, yes, it's obviously the offense, but it's not that they are, well, they only rely on the home run. Well, no, they're not hitting any home runs. Saying that they only rely on the home run means that there's long stretches where they don't hit home runs, they don't score. They're not hitting any home runs. They have no power at all. It's not that they're fundamentally flawed. We've gone over this a thousand times. It's that the guys that they have are not performing anywhere close to what the expectation would be. And Glaber Torres is not the only one. DJ LeMahieu has fallen off the cliff. Gio Urshela, that's another perfect example. Now, he's not generally what you would associate as, as a power guy, but the numbers for him a couple of years ago, slugging in the 500s, this year slugging low 400s. Clint Frazier, the same thing. And that is the problem. Well, they don't make enough contact. Well, actually, they are making contact this year. That's why they're grounding into so many double plays because they don't have any power behind it. Well, they strike out too much. No, actually, they are striking out less this year than they are in past years. And again, who has struck out the most this year? The Rays. Who has struck out the least this year? The Astros. Well, you know what? The best teams, one of them strikes out the most, one of them strikes out the least. It's almost like strikeouts is not a good barometer of good offense or bad offense. It's the power. And until they figure that out, they are sunk. So, as I said, Aaron Boone was asked about it last night and seemed at just a complete law. Here's Aaron Boone. Do we have the cuts of, of Aaron Boone from last night? Here's Aaron Boone in the postgame being asked about, you know, the Yankees not scoring any runs basically every single night. Well, he's, he's always capable of being tough. Obviously, a hard throw, a cutter split, curveball. You know, I, th I actually thought we had a lot of good at-bats from especially the top half of the order, um, you know, and, and got ourselves into some, some situations where we had a chance to score, just couldn't get that big one tonight. So, you know, he was able to hold us off enough there. But, uh, you know, when you're not hitting a ton of long balls, you gotta, you, you got to be able to cash in when you, when you get those opportunities. I keep hearing about all these good at-bats. Could you imagine when they have some bad at-bats, what it must look like? Oh, my God, these are the good, good at-bats? Where are the bad at-bats? Because I'd like you to point those out. We have one more from Aaron Boone. Well, I thought they, especially guys out of the pen, I thought threw the ball really well for them tonight. Um, you know, again, you know, strikeouts are a part of this, and we got to, you know, continue to work hard, especially in those situations when, when we have some traffic. You know, I, I thought a lot of good at-bats, especially in the first inning where Geo ends up lining out to end that inning. Um, so, we just got to keep keep building off some small successes we're having and 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 hopefully break through here. Yeah, it sounds like a guy who's really got the finger on the pulse there. I mean, the lack of offense and the lack of power is troubling. But you know what? The one thing that's actually more frustrating than that is it almost seems like and, and Boone's the one that's going to catch the heat for it because he's the one that's out front. It almost seems like the organization is kind of content to just kind of ride it out, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> I know I've been shouting this for a while, the, you know, the luxury tax threshold, the luxury tax. That's what it is. That I, it seems like they are content to let this season go down, however it will go down, and not make any moves. 
And there, there could be a situation where you're like, you know what, the team is so bad, even moves wouldn't help. There are two glaring areas where if the Yankees just made, just got like uh, entry level, like just a replacement level play out of those two positions, it might actually make a huge difference. Because between first base and center field, so far this year, first base, the Yankees as a team, are hitting 174 with an on-base of 273 and a slugging of 258 at first base, a power position. Only the Indians have been worse than that, and I, I haven't seen the Indians so far this year. I, I would almost wonder if the Indians are even using a first baseman because they've actually been worse than the Yankees. And then in center field, nobody, no team anywhere has gotten lit less production than at, in center field than the Yankees. 180, 265, and 300. The Yankees, center field of the New York Yankees, and that has just been an absolute hole in the offense. So if you could just find two reasonable players, just not, be, just don't be the worst, that might actually improve things, but it doesn't seem like they have any intentions of doing that because the number one goal, again, luxury tax threshold. <laughs> Baby, 1-800-919-ESPN is the uh, telephone. We're taking you up until 6.30. It's Big Islanders and Bruins pregame then, but me until then. And what a, whoa, the music uh, ended very abruptly there. <laughs> Running with the devil ran out of time, I guess. I guess the band is only so long. Uh, but uh, we have a lot of stuff to do. We've been talking about the Knicks for a good portion of the day. Obviously, the Yankees are first and foremost always on my mind. So uh, let's get back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go to Chris in Queens. Chris, what's going on, pal? Hey, what's going on, Gordon? How are you doing today? I'm good, man. What's up? Uh, Gordon, the Yankees are built for the three-month home run, like early or back in the days. They have no contact hitters. They're too much right-handed. The Yankees, theoretically, from the back of the George Steinbrenner days and previous days, have always had two or three power left-hand hitters, Gordon. They have – there are – between Sanchez, Stanton, and Judge, Gordon, you have 550 strikeouts. Yeah, but it's you not really about the – I mean, Chris, it's not about the, the home run hitters or the all-swing or miss hitters. It's about they have so many bad hitters. I mean, that's the difference between this year and all the other years. Like, the other years, the offense – we can argue about in the postseason, the home runs and all that type of stuff. But let's leave that out. I'm just talking about regular season. This is a team that is built to score a bunch of runs and clobber teams and all those type of things. And they just have so many bad hitters in the lineup. That's the problem. It's not that, they, they, that they're, they're too home run reliant and if they don't – they don't hit any home runs. Yeah, but Gordon, this is the same. This is basically the same team for the last three years. They, right. They're not hitting so that, right now. Right. That's my point. But those years they were hitting yeah. home runs, and now they don't. All these guys, Glaber Torres, who was slugging 500, it's not like all of a sudden he he um, you know pitchers have have figured him out as much as it is he doesn't hit with any power anymore, and I don't know the reason for that. Same thing with DJ LeMahieu. First two years he was brilliant. He was everything you could have ever asked for. Uh, and now he has regressed to such a level that he's almost he's I think he's actually kind of worse than the level he was at when he was with the Rockies. And exactly. And another thing, Gordon, outside of Cole, who do the Yankees have? 
I mean, outside of Cole, it's a crapshoot out there. They don't I don't know. I think reliable. that the, the starting the starting pitching has been has been fairly good so far this year. Um, now, look, when you're a bad team, and Chris, thanks for the phone call. Uh, when you're a bad team, it's not generally one thing that ruins your season altogether. It's that everything kind of ruins your. As soon as you get one thing solved, another thing pops up. So it's possible that the Yankees do start scoring some runs at some point. I, I'm not really holding out hope at this point, but maybe that does turn out to be the case. And then all of a sudden, the starting pitching goes sideways. And you've already seen Corey Kluber, who I told you, I mean, when they made that signing, if this guy is healthy in July, I'll be shocked. It wasn't even June, and he was already hurt. So um, I've been watching the Yankees for a very long time, and I, you know, I can tell you things about that team, and I just don't see this turning around. I'm not usually one to predict a doom and gloom, but when all you have to look at is the same thing every single night, I mean, there's, there's no changes. I mean, how long did it take for them to finally move off of Mike Ford? I mean, Mike Ford was terrible. They've gotten basically zero out of first base this season, the Yankees. And they're not bringing in someone to improve the situation. It's like with the Florial. They bring him up for a day. He didn't look overwhelmed. Now, it was, a, it was one game. I don't know. Maybe if, if you played him for two weeks, teams would figure him out and he would, look, he would get exposed. But isn't it worth the, the worth a shot? Isn't it worth a chance? And the rumors are, well, they don't think that he's major league ready. Who on this team? Again, I gave you the numbers. No, no team has had a worse situation in center field than the Yankees. Only one team has had worse production at first base. At some point, if you're not going to change the situation, yeah, this is what it's going to look like. And it seems like the Yankees are content to just let it play out the way it is. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go to uh, Richard is in Manhattan. Richard, what's going on, pal? Gordon, you know, sports radio gives me a chance to use my brain. That's what I love most about sports radio. And I'm thinking of this. Okay. If Dallas, the basketball team, wins tomorrow against the the Clippers, Clippers. that means that the road team won all seven games. Right, okay. All right, now that's unbelievable, but I think back, it was only uh, October of 2019, I believe, when the Nationals beat the Astros. Yeah, and they won every game. Every game was won by the road team. Yeah. So within a period of two years, we had something that's almost impossible to happen. And it happened. Yeah, I mean, it's really weird in basketball. Right? Because I don't know that yeah, there's necessarily that much. Sport, hockey or baseball. Why would yeah, it be I any mean, more weirder there? Well, because baseball, it's about the, the pitcher on that day. So it could kind of line up where, the, you know, one team has the advantage. I and know, I think good, that but plays seven into games? It, yeah. Uh, well, look, I mean, seven games is not that large of a sample size. Um, it's, it's, I, never, it's I don't think it happened before 2019 in any of the four, three major yeah. sports. Yeah. I, I could just and see it happening, happening in, in, in baseball much more than basketball. You think in basketball, there yeah, is no, kind I understand of a home your reasoning, advantage. But still, it's, you know, okay. Now, uh, as far as, now, I would imagine the league does not want the Nets to win, and with good reason. They got the Lakers out, an assembled team, and if the Clippers lose, you wait, that so you, sort think of you, you think that the league that. does not want Brooklyn to win? Oh, of course not. They don't want a team assembled like that to okay. win. I would think I it's a bad understand. precedent, yes, but okay. Correct, yeah. And like the Clippers losing with Kawhi coming there with Paul George's influence, of course, you know, and then AD coming with the LeBron's influence. So that, you know, I'm saying that. All right, but if the Clippers win, 
that means out of the eight remaining teams, five of those teams, five out of the eight remaining teams, have okay. never won an NBA yeah. championship. Never. Okay. Yeah. Including the Nets in Denver and Dallas mm-hmm. and Utah. Yep. And I forgot the fifth. Okay. The three that have won, the closest to have winning, of winning it was the 76s. Right. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah, we, 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 we mentioned this before. 83, right? Right. So okay. can you imagine you'll have eight teams in the playoffs where amongst them, only one, the closest that any of the eight have won it was 38 years ago. Yeah. That's, a that's an amazing fact. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's the reason why a lot of people feel like it's kind of wide open because the the, the traditional, uh, you know, like blue bloods, the traditional teams uh, are not in it this year. Uh, they're just well. Uh, I saw something that this is the first time since 2010. So we've had 10 seasons in a row where either LeBron or Steph Curry were in the playoffs. Right. So this is the first time since 2010 where LeBron or Steph Curry were not in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I just think that you just take a look at the guys who have been in the playoffs a lot here, and uh, at least for Durant, he, he's one of them. And, uh, they, oh, one more thing. Uh, they're, the guy, they're the team to beat. Go ahead, go one ahead. last thing with the Yankee game, Yankee-Red yes. Sox game yesterday. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the box score. There were 25 strikeouts in the game yeah. between Boston and the Yankees, 25. Yep. One yeah, Yankees had 15 of them. What's that? Right. The Red Sox have to Red, There was only one walk in the game. One. 25 strikeouts. You would think some of these guys would take bitches just to get on base with a ball. Base on ball. And, you know, you're not seeing Carfax versus Gibson or Marichal versus. No. <laughs> this is Evaldi versus King. Yep. 25 strikeouts in one walk. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, well, I mean, that, 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 that's an issue, you know, league-wide, the strikeouts and, and, and the lack of contact Yankees, and all those types what, of things. Out of the Yankees' last nine outs, their last nine outs, eight of them were via the strikeout. Eight out of the nine guys got out on a strikeout. Gordon, always a pleasure. All Thank right, Richard, you. there you go. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the strikeouts have not really been the issue for the Yankees so far this year. I mean, it's not anytime you strike out 15 times and you don't score a bunch of runs and the bottom of the lineup is 0 for 500, it's always going to look bad. But that that's not really the, you know, the Yankees have struck out in far. I would much prefer more strikeouts if I could mix in a three-run home run. I mean, the Yankees never score. They just don't score. They don't, they, don't, they don't put up 10 runs. Even bad offensive teams, they'll have a breakout game. And I thought earlier in the season, eh, you know what, they're just pressing right now. They want to get going. It, it, it's now June 5th, and it, it looks exactly the same as it did kind of on May 5th. At least there was that little blip where you think, eh, maybe things are starting to point in the right direction. They have too many guys in the lineup who can't hit. That's it. That's all it is. It's nothing more than that. It's not about the reliance on home runs. It's not about striking out too much or contact or all these type of things. They have guys who can't hit for whatever reason. I don't, I don't understand the reason why Glaber Torres has gone to the player he has. I don't understand why Sanchez looked like one thing when he came up and now he looks like something else or, or uh, Clint Frazier. Or all, but that, it, it, the story is the story. That's the deal. That's why they, they can't score runs. They don't hit home runs. They don't have any power outside of Aaron Judge in the lineup and occasionally Giancarlo Stanton. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Now, look, there are certain rules in Sports Talk Radio, one of which is, I think, 
once somebody calls the show once, you're not allowed to bring that person back in one shot a day. But Barbara from Staten Island was such a big hit earlier on with her Trey Young thoughts that we, she actually called back and she's back on the line. Barbara in Staten Island for a second time on a Saturday. Barbara, what's going on? Long time no speak. How you doing? How know. you doing? I'm still doing good. <laughs> I am a big sports fan. I got uh, it in my blood. Yep. Okay, now we're going to talk about the Yankees. Okay. Been a Yankee fan since 1977, where we had Gidry, Nettles. Yep. Uh, Great team. Dent. We First, had two uh, championships. Yep. 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 Um, I even went to the ticket tape parade. I'm actually doing a diamond painting for my brother, who's going to be 65. He oh, is that's a diehard nice. Thurman Munson fan. Yeah. All right. Okay, so just a couple things. Um, this velocity pitching. Uh-huh. Why? Why do we have to do this? More guys get hurt and have to have the John, you know, have to have the surgery. Yep. Right. Now they're deciding on changing the pitching mound and move it more than 60 feet, which is, like, ridiculous because everybody's used right. to, you know, yeah. hitting at 60 feet. Another thing, um, I had a uh, – my husband, he passed away. He was a police officer. Oh, I'm sorry, Barbara. And, my condolences. Yeah, and he had um, issues from 9-11. And then my son, he passed away two years later from suicide. But oh, my far. son was a good player, okay. and he was so good that um, he went to Australia to play on the American League. Okay, and it was with the goodwill. It was with the goodwill series, and it was for all kids just um, to help them to get into you know the you know the baseball you know thing. And um, my son, whenever he hit, he hit a couple home runs. But what he did was he always hit it down the middle, smack down the middle. And every time you hit that ball smack down the middle, you get runs. Why, yeah. why are all these Yankee guys hitting foul balls? Like, hit the damn ball. Hit the ball, <laughs> hit the ball. That's what they say. Okay. All right, Barbara. And thanks, thanks, thanks for the second call as well. And, um, it's not. It's not that easy. Like you're saying about why are teams, uh, you know, going with these high velocity guys? Because it works. I mean, every team has these high velocity guys, and yeah, some of them do get hurt, and and eventually a lot of them do get hurt and have to undergo Tommy John surgery, and a lot of them come back throwing harder than they did before. But it, it's the. It's all about what, what's the, the benefit to, to the play, right? Like the reason why there's more three-pointers now in the NBA is because teams have realized the benefit of, of high-volume shots at three-pointer. That's how, you know, if the other team's taking twos and you're taking threes, chances are you're going to, to beat the other team. And the, the, the three true outcomes, as they call it, in baseball about strikeout, home run, or a walk, uh, teams have realized the way you score runs against hard-throwing pitchers, and now every team has hard-throwing pitchers. You're not going to scratch out one or two runs. You're not, or, or, or one or two hits here uh, against each of them, right? You, to, to to get a, a run across with three hits against guys who are throwing 98, 99 is very difficult. So you're looking to find in it a bat one pitch that you can do damage, and that's not always a home run. But to do damage, get your A swing off, as they say. And that's why you're seeing 
the reliance on as many home runs and, and those type of things. And baseball's tried to do stuff to kind of uh, get it back to a more contact game. But unfortunately, the people running the sport it doesn't seem like they have a real good idea of how to do that. Even if there was an easy plan to fix it, I, I don't have a high level of confidence that the people running the show are going to be able to find it. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN.